0: This week, we're joined by two women founders to talk about reimagining everyday essentials and how they've navigated building their companies in Edmonton.
1: Plus, the 51 is expanding to Edmonton and Sprout Fund has announced its first close. Hi, I'm Emily Rendell
0: Watson. And I'm Faiza Ramji. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton.
1: Okay, well. Faiza, you know we talk a lot about tech on Bloom, um, and it seems like there is no end to the successes and opportunities. We're always talking about different programs and accelerators and all kinds of stuff related to the city's tech ecosystem and, and across the province. But there's also an incredible amount of innovation happening outside the tech sphere or where the focus is, isn't necessarily in within a tech company. And that includes what it looks like to reimagine everyday items like menstrual pads and shower caps. So joining us to dive into that are Nicole Sanchez, co-founder of Ruth, and Jillian Thompson, the entrepreneur behind Skipper. Hi, Nicole and Jillian. Hello. Hi. Can you maybe both start off by introducing yourselves and just give us a short brief about what each of you are building within your respective companies?
2: Yeah, I can start. Um, so yeah, my name is Nicole. I'm one of the co-founders of Ruth and we provide menstrual products that are sustainable and disposable. Our company started officially in January of last year but we've been working on uh, kind of the similar idea since we were at the University of Alberta way back in 2018. Um, we launched our crowdfunding in July of 2020 and then we launched officially our e-commerce uh, site in October of last year. So it's only been a couple months, but it's been a long journey nonetheless. And um, yeah, my background is actually in business economics and law. I graduated from the U of A in April of 2020. Um, And yeah, that's a little bit about me. Okay, cool, and Jillian? Sure, so I'm Jillian Thompson. I'm
3: the inventor of Skipper Shower Caps. Skipper is a reusable, machine washable shower cap. That doesn't use an elastic around the band, which is the most important innovation for a better fit. So I have been working on Skipper since about April of 2020 um, in development for about 18 months before just launching to the public a few months ago. My background is mostly in marketing professionally, but before my career turned to marketing, I always had the dream of making hair products. So I have a hairstyling certificate and a degree in chemistry. Um and so now I've put these all together to bring these new shower caps to life.
1: Okay, great. So Jillian, in terms of reinventing the shower cap and reimagining how it could be significantly better. Can you tell me a little bit more about
3: why you decided to to do that? So it all started with me as a frustrated consumer. Like a lot of people, I, I don't wash my hair every day, but I still shower. So I use a shower cap on the days that I don't wash my hair. And I was trying to find a better shower cap for myself on the market and tried a lot of different kinds that were reusable, also tried, of course, the plastic ones that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with in hotel rooms. And when I couldn't find something that actually worked, so that you know, stayed in place, kept my hair dry, and wasn't made of single-use plastic, when I couldn't find that for myself, I knew I wasn't alone. And so I set out to find a better way. Okay. And so, uh, Nicole, what about you in terms
1: of Ruth? Tell me a little bit more about what that looked like in terms of reinventing a better version of a pad.
2: Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, um, the idea actually started at DOA. There was a competition that was looking for ways to uh, repurpose the hemp stock here in Alberta. So the original idea was to use hemp. And as we kind of develop and I was part of the project, we realized that there's actually like not a lot of products that offer something that's disposable and also biodegradable in the market. And so the more we talk to um, our friends and our family and other people as well. We've surveyed about a hundred people before we actually like got into this as a business. We realized that there's that gap between having to reuse something and then also just having a product that's just completely made out of plastic and cotton. So we wanted to provide something that's a little bit of an easier transition for consumers because not everyone want to use a reusable period underwear or a reusable pad or even menstrual cups. Some people don't want to use uh, those products and so we had wanted to offer something that's you know still easily disposed it's convenient but then also something that biodegrades a lot faster so currently the products in the market that you typically buy um, they're made out of 90 percent plastic and 10 percent cotton and they could take up to 800 years to completely biodegrade whereas our products can biodegrade within a year so that's a big difference and that's really kind of what we really want to provide for um, as an option for. Okay. And as you looked at
1: surveying people, for example, how challenging was it to figure out where to start in terms of just really starting from scratch on on how to make the, the pad better?
2: I like I said, we started this in 2018 and we had only launched our product in 2021, end of 2021, last year. So it's just been a, a long road. And for us, like in the beginning, it was just us students trying to figure this out on our own in a lab. We were given this like huge hemp stock and they were like, okay, like figure it out. Um and so that took us so long to like really realize that we couldn't like soften the hemp ourselves. And then we had entered into this competition and we were able to connect to like a couple of people. Um, in Edmonton and in the industry and so that's kind of when we started getting things rolling in terms of the product development we had asked for help for people in the hemp industry and then also some advice from the business side as to like where to really navigate and how to navigate and where to really go with the idea but yeah like it was a lot of trial and error and then it wasn't until uh end of 2020 when we realized that we had to pivot because again even though we were having all these advice from you know the industry professionals um, we had still realized that it was going to take us a long time to really develop the product in-house and then also translate that into a manufacturing facility and so we pivoted away from hemp and chose a different ingredient and look for a manufacturer that can do exactly what we had wanted. Our product is uh, still evolving and I know that you had mentioned about like the tech industry, but like for a product, it's a lot harder to um, do some iterations, and so that's still something that we we want to obviously have the perfect product, but we're still working on it. So I would say that we're still in that process where we're still making changes and improvements to our product.
1: I'm curious from both of you in terms of whether it's more challenging to start from scratch and come up with you know a company or a product or you know, often, a lot of times I think companies are, you know, solving a problem that's out there in some way or another, whether that's through technology or otherwise. But what obviously what you're doing is you're starting with something that exists and then trying to make it better and and trying to address the inherent issues that each of the
2: respective
1: items that you're tackling had. Do you think that 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 makes things more challenging?
2: I think so. I think that because there's already that standard that all um, some products already exist, like especially from our product, menstrual products, our menstrual pads, we obviously want to provide something that's sustainable, but we still want to provide a product that's the same quality as the ones that people would get in the market, right? Still would function as though um, it's made out of those harmful chemicals and those harmful materials that is currently offered in the market, but that's a little better for the environment. So I think yes and no, like in terms of uh, the resources, I guess, like there's a lot more that we can gather instead of, you know, starting from scratch and not like, Getting a product and making it better, um, but yeah, like I think there's certain expectations from a consumer perspective as to how the product should work already, and so keeping that in mind while you're making the product better is um, is a challenging part for me at least. This
3: is interesting to me because I have sort of a an opposite challenge with my shower cap in that what's available on the market right now. People, they use it often, but they don't like it. And so I'm trying to convince people to see the difference um, that Skipper provides. And it's at a price point that's higher than what people are used to paying for an item like a shower cap. Whereas with Ruth, it sounds like you're trying to meet the expectations of a really commonplace item like people already have those expectations for, you know, ease of use and accessibility of of buying it. Whereas I'm kind of trying to make people forget about what's out there and see the difference that Skipper provides. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting that we have these like kind of opposite challenges (laughs) in comparison to what's on the market right now.
0: Well, and I think it's interesting that both of you are taking an approach that is, you know, you're, you're kind of asking the consumer to rethink something in order for like a social benefit as well. So it's, it's something that affects them personally when they use it, but by switching to your products, they're hopefully also getting a better experience for themselves, but they're definitely helping, you know, the environment and kind of more of that greater good. And so I think it's really interesting when we talk about innovation a lot, so many people naturally tie that to technology when really innovation, you know, as we all kind of define it, if you ask somebody to define innovation, it's about looking at something through, you know, a new perspective or solving a specific problem within something that potentially already exists. Um, Not necessarily an item, but maybe even an industry or a resource or something like that. And so with both of you... You're not doing something that is technology based, but definitely innovative and definitely socially beneficial. But how has that made it more difficult to start this business in in Edmonton or in Alberta when it comes to like, you know, the way that we support the innovation ecosystem? And Jillian, maybe I'll start with you.
3: It's tough to know how to compare, you know, starting Skipper in Edmonton versus somewhere else because I've only ever been in Edmonton. Um, But I can say that um, looking into business incubators and funding options, like grant money, that sort of thing, a lot of programs had requirements of, you know, some sort of digital aspect. Or as a startup, like completely inventing something from scratch, Skipper was in development for 18 months before it was available publicly. And I also found that a lot of funding options, grant programs, it also had to be something that was already launched. So the opportunities to me with a very low tech, non-digital product um, that isn't actually on the market yet, I found they were limited. And so I've been fortunate that I can, like I've been self-funding this with my own savings. Uh, But I think it would be really difficult if I didn't already have um, some money set aside to find other options that would be applicable to my product.
2: Yeah, I kind of agree with Jillian in terms of just the funding accessibility. Um, And this is one of the reasons why we had shifted away from hemp and then into a new ingredient, or maybe like putting that on pause is because um, it was getting too expensive for us. And I started this. Uh, right after school. And Anka, my co-founder, was still in school when we had incorporated the business. It was called Hemp Act before. And so we had to, you know, shift gears a little bit because we had to come up with an MVP, for example, for certain fundings that we have, we, we can access. And it's a lot easier, like uh, Jillian said, for you know a a startup that has some sort of tech or digital thing involved within their business and because we don't have that it was a little bit harder for us to access it Um, we did before we incorporated the business we had entered into a few pitch competitions and so that helped us kind of you know incorporate and had some little bit of wiggle room in terms of matching some grants and things like that but without those uh, pitch competition money I don't think we'll we'll we would have gone that far or this far um, into our startup journey.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, Nicole, you also made a comment earlier about because you're manufacturing, you can't iterate as quickly as a tech company. And, you know, for me, with field notes, we're, we're making alcohol uh, from peas and it's the same thing. It's like the three of us are all in a manufacturing space where anytime you want to make a little change, even if you get good feedback from the market and you want to make a little change, it's not the equivalent amount of effort. It's a lot of effort and potentially a lot of money to make even a small change, which can kind of make or break, you know, how the market receives your product. So I always find it funny that when we look at a lot of grant funding or a lot of startup uh, support, it is very heavily technology focused, even though It's meant for innovation, which I think are not the same thing, obviously. And the three of us being women, some might think it's easier for us to access funding because we fall into a lot of those categories of underrepresented founders that people are trying to encourage into business. But by putting that prerequisite of technology, they're actually excluding a lot of people because you don't always need to make something digital or to have a digital component in order for it to be valuable. But we might want to add technology as we grow, we just may not want to, we just may not have the opportunity to add it right at the beginning, you know? And so, you know, for me personally, I've found it very difficult to get those supports right at the beginning. And in Alberta, we are lucky that there are so many organizations and so much public funding that is given to encouraging entrepreneurship. But then it's funny that we're quite excluded from it just because of one of these kind of small requirements that, that they add in. And so when you look at the people that are innovating right now, when you look at a lot of the companies and, and what's coming out of our province, I think you'll both agree there's some amazing founders and a lot of great invention that's happening here. But how do you see the fact that we're kind of putting innovation and digital all in the same category all the time? How do you think that that's going to affect the demographics in terms of who we see being included in our, in our innovation ecosystem?
2: From our perspective, it's it's been super tough to like really do much uh, iteration. Uh, like you said, it's expensive and things like that. The Edmonton startup ecosystem has been growing in the past. Like I would say, like even a like, Even this whole month, like there's just so many new tech startups that are getting funding and, you know, uh, so much that are being put into our province for innovation. But there just needs to be a little bit more conversation about what innovation means and, you know, who we can get involved or I guess like people like us who you know, are doing something that's not necessarily tech related um, and involving us into these conversations because there are so much grant opportunities and even like uh, access to funding um, for a lot of, you know, startups. But like you mentioned, um, it's been a little bit tough to navigate through that because there's that piece that, oh, like, are you a tech company or do you have anything that's like even a little bit (laughs) focusing on tech? Or are you thinking about that in the future? That's always a conversation that I have with um, people who are kind of in charge and who are kind of navigating through um, what Edmonton Startup or even Alberta ecosystem looks like. So yeah, I think there just needs to be more conversation with companies or founders who are not necessarily involved in tech, um, but are doing products as well that are also innovative. Because yeah, like we also need this kind of innovation, especially in this day and age. There is
3: quite a, an emphasis on technology driven innovation in Alberta, um, especially but I th- I think that outside of Alberta and just thinking about the bigger picture, there's so many common household items that are being rethought right now with sustainability in mind, and they don't have high-tech angles to them. Like examples that come to mind are uh, waterless shampoo and conditioner. So there's brands like Everest or actually a local company, Jack 59, is making shampoo bars and like that sort of thing is going to change the way that people go about their day-to-day lives Um, i'm even thinking of like kitchen implements Um, people are starting to make products out of bamboo and more sustainable materials than plastics and so there's huge opportunities for rethinking these types of objects in our lives, that would make a big difference to, to our planet and to people's lives, and I think that if Alberta could get a little bit more ahead of that with funding opportunities for people interested in rethinking these items, I just think that's a side of innovation that is being overlooked right now.
1: I'm wondering in terms of when you think about support, what other support would each of you like to have had or? or have as businesses that, well, that aren't in the the tech realm necessarily, but are are still very much so innovating and within that ecosystem.
3: I was lucky to come across the Venture Mentoring Service through the University of Alberta. The program is all volunteer-based and it's people who are entrepreneurs themselves or business leaders, seasoned experts in their field that are willing to take time simply to mentor new entrepreneurs. And the program is not about building the company to be favorable for investors. It's, it's not a business incubator. It's not helping you get investment. It's only helping the entrepreneurs with their journey. And that was something that really stuck out as different to me from other programs that I found available. So because I'm not seeking investment funding at this time, I don't really qualify for a lot of the programs that would help me grow my business. And so that's the type of program that I think would be very useful is is more programs that are just about helping these entrepreneurs navigate the ups and downs of everyday entrepreneurship. Um, versus trying to groom a company to be most profitable, most appealing to investors, and scaling in huge ways that not every company needs support for.
1: Right. So growth, growth is, can come in a lot, of, a lot of different ways, and and not everyone's necessarily at the stage of um, of needing investment. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Nicole.
2: Uh, Yeah, no, I agree with Jelly and I'm also part of the Venture Mentoring Services with the U of A and, you know, just having that support to, you know, really grow as an entrepreneur and having someone to really bounce off of your ideas, just aside from your co-founder, because uh, we all know that uh, I could get isolating as an entrepreneur. And so having these more resources like this. And having access, I I think like if I were to dream, if I could talk to someone here in Edmonton or maybe just somewhere here in Alberta that has gone through having like a consumer product and just talking to them and, you know, like ha- hearing their journey and things like that would be really, really helpful. Um, I've come across like a couple already, but um, I think having something that's more specific to um, either like sustainability or um, consumer products would have been helpful. But yeah, like just having more resources that is not necessarily for the growth of the company itself, but the entrepreneurs have been super helpful, like Julian mentioned.
0: Yeah, if I, if I can just jump in too, I think um, what's what's interesting to me is like, We've attracted so many of these great accelerators, whether whether they're locally born or they're accelerators that have come from, you know, uh, different places and have set up a branch in Edmonton or in even in Alberta. But they seem to all overlap with the same kind of industries or the same kind of focus. And I think when it comes to manufacturing something, there are so many unique challenges. And when it comes to consumer products in general, like Nicole was mentioning, you know, we have such a big opportunity when it comes to, you know, agricultural innovation. So not necessarily the technology in the equipment, but when it comes to growing different types of products, how we use those products, both in food, but also in building materials or to create products that we may never have thought of before, like menstrual pads, or you know, when it when it comes to putting something new on a shelf for a person rather than selling a piece of software to a business. And I think that requires just a different set of conversations and a different set of expertise. And so when I look at funding opportunities and grants, grants, those would be amazing. Obviously no one's going to turn down money, but I think mm-hmm. more importantly it's to say, well, here are the different parts of the journey that look different than when you're launching a tech company. You know, even the the cycle of iteration and innovation and how do you even pick a manufacturer? How do you know what you're looking for? What is the language that you're using when you're just starting out versus when you're scaling versus when you're looking at multinational distribution? You know, the Chamber of Commerce puts on a great program called TAP, which is the Trade Accelerator Program. And that is like a very hands-on program that helps you build an export plan. But it's also one step too far, but it's great because it does work for a lot of physical businesses. And so I think if there could be almost like a, an accelerator or a program that's just one step earlier than that, that could also help you build a community of other people like you that are launching products in a similar space, even if they're totally different, would be really helpful. So I think it's just about finding those kind of micro communities and creating space for them.
2: Yeah, I agree with you Faiza. And even just like transitioning from an e-commerce store to maybe going into retail, that's another whole thing that, you know, like not a lot of tech companies have to go through, a lot tech companies have to go through. So yeah, um, just having those resources would be super duper important.
0: So obviously, you know, our goal here is to encourage people to come up with lots of different ideas and lots of different companies, and they're not necessarily all going to be tech focused when they start. And like we just said, that 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 requires a different mindset and a different set of conversations. So I'm curious to learn from both of you, what's kind of the, the biggest piece of advice that you would share with another entrepreneur who's looking to start a company that may not be defined as a technology-based company?
3: My advice would be to ask for help. <laughs> um, nobody's going to come to you and say, hey, I want to help you with this particular part of your manufacturing journey or that's something that I had to do along the way and you know quickly get over the idea that oh what if someone says no or what if they think I'm silly for asking if you don't ask a door will not be opened for you so that was the biggest thing that I learned along the way and I can think of so many moments along along the way that if I hadn't asked I would not have had a certain answer that was really key to moving the product development ahead. I think you'll find most people are open to helping if they can.
2: Yeah, for me, I think it's, if it's a product business, I think you just kind of have to brace yourself with a lot of challenges that comes with creating a product and also building a brand at the same time Um, and really knowing that there's going to be a lot of times where you're going to have to iterate or pivot so just knowing that the journey is going to be quite tough but it's also um, very fulfilling like I, I love what I do and another thing is to build a community around you whether that's entrepreneurs like yourselves or mentors and really just any community member that you can think of that could help you along the way like Jillian mentioned is really really important. I think for me especially like what's really helped is having people who are Founders, as well, to talk to because, like I said, it could get isolating sometimes. Like you think that your problems are specific to you or they're unique, but they're really not. A lot of people are going through the same things, especially entrepreneurs. And so, knowing that you have that support system because you don't, you can't really talk about what you're going through to someone who has a nine to five job, it's not the same. Um, So, yeah, having a community has really helped me. And so, I guess that's my advice.
1: Well, thank you both for for joining us. I think this has been really insightful and I know I've learned a lot and I think what the companies that you're each are building are incredible and the more that we, you know, live in a world that just assumes that we we accept the products and things we have and they have to stay that way forever having innovative and folks like yourself who can reimagine things that I think the status quo in terms of what we've accepted and in, in, in whether that's shower caps or menstrual pads or whatever else. Um, obviously, that's that's really important work that you're doing. And there's a lot of that work that we don't get to see behind the scenes. So thank you for um, talking a little bit about some of the challenges and what you have navigated along the way. And and hopefully that's helpful for potentially other entrepreneurs listening. Um, and also some, some important nuggets to kind of chew on in terms of What you're doing outside of tech and uh, how that's just as important, and other ways to help support that. So, thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: Thanks for having
1: us. Over the next few episodes, we're going to share a conversation that Taproot co founder MacMail had with Don Newton, the head of Accelerate Edmonton, about Alberta Catalyzer, the new provincial pre accelerator program for Alberta founders. Here's the first part of their conversation.
0: Dawn, welcome to Bloom.
4: Hi, Matt. It's great to be here.
0: All right. We're going to talk a little bit about Alberta Catalyzer. So for those who have not heard about this program, what is Alberta Catalyzer?
4: Well, the Alberta Catalyzer is a new provincial pre-accelerator program. So it's a merit-based program series that supports founders and their startups anywhere in Alberta. It's, um, in fact, co-developed and co-delivered by Innovate Edmonton and Platform Calgary. So that partnership, it's really an unprecedented realignment and harmonization and an expansion of startup support in the province. So the idea really germinated following the release of an RFP from Alberta Innovates wanting to bring global accelerators to Alberta. And they um, released this under something uh, they call the new Scale-Up and Growth Accelerator Program, or some people may have heard of it as Scale-Up Gap Program. And in this case, they're looking both for pre-acceleration and accelerators Uh, Knowing that our organizations work in this space with a lot of founders, we came together with organizations across the Alberta regional innovation networks and really started a conversation around where are the gaps in the ecosystem and where do we see in that pre-acceleration space an important need for additional supports. That conversation, of course, led to partnership where we've we've put together a proposal that brought kind of our expertise from both of our organizations, um, knowledge from the regional innovation networks to be able to bring forward the Alberta Catalyzer. We're so excited to have this new program um, available to founders across the province. So it really is a big shift in the ecosystem.
0: When you say a big shift in the ecosystem, you mean by all of these groups coming together to try and solve this challenge?
4: Yeah, and I think as well that it's not just... Uh, our organizations offering individual programming to our smaller regions, right? So certainly with Innovate Edmonton, we've had a history of incredible programming with Startup Edmonton and have expanded with Scale Up Edmonton now, Accelerate Edmonton, the program um, for which I'm the head of that program division under Innovate Edmonton is really working on this Alberta Catalyzer pre-accelerator in partnership with Platform Calgary. So it's a really exciting time to be a founder in Alberta, to be um, bringing forward a new startup. There are a lot of new supports out here, both with this pre-accelerator program, but then new scale-up accelerators, global programs that are now landed here in Alberta. So 500 Global Accelerator plug-and-play accelerator that's that's come to Alberta as well, and a new uh, CSW accelerator. So CSW being the, the TELUS Safety and Wellness Accelerator powered by Alchemist. Uh, so lots of exciting um, opportunity to get supports, to network with people within the province, throughout the world, uh, and use that opportunity to um, really grow your business.
0: An exciting time with accelerators in the province.
4: Absolutely.
1: Okay, well, diving into other news happening across the city. Um, So, the 51, which uh, FISA you might be familiar with, it's a financial feminist platform that is expanding to Edmonton. It started in Calgary and they aim to provide access or increase access to women led capital for women led businesses. And they do a whole bunch of really interesting work. Um, They have a membership that you can access, and there's uh, lots of training involved. That uh, members can can go to for either on the investing side or on the uh, entrepreneur side, or if you know if you're just in the space in general, and um, there's there's topics that you want to learn about. They have a, a lot of different stuff that supports women within uh, within innovation, which obviously is applicable to us. And uh, the move to bring it to Edmonton was from Nicole Jansen of Alta Mel, um, Christina Milkey of Sprout Fund and uh, Charlene Oborowski of Yogapedia. And uh, the three of them are hosting a launch event on May 12th um, for women. If you're interested, you can reach out to Nicole or Christina via LinkedIn. And I believe that's in the evening. And uh, yeah, they're really just hoping to increase the presence of the 51 in Edmonton and make it even more accessible for women here who are potentially investors, who are investors or potential investors to participate in, uh, I believe they have two funds. They kind of have just like a general fund and then they have an egg one as well. And then uh, obviously on the entrepreneur side of things, there's lots to be taken from there as
0: well. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'm glad they're coming to Edmonton because uh, I know they've got some really, really you know, well admired folks on the team at the 51 and uh, you know we always talk about the need for entrepreneurs but also investors and community supporters and other professionals and so i think the 51 will help kind of round out the other progress we are making with having more women founders at the table and now it'd be nice to have more female funders and and just to increase like the level of sophistication that people have when it comes to talking about investments and being investors in things that are Kind of outside of our normal realm of familiarity, so I'm excited that they're coming here.
1: Yeah, no, I think it'll be it'll be great to see, and I think that even if you just go on, I, I can't rattle off the stats off the top of my head, but if you just go on the 51 website, there's a a lot of different info on there that would seem eye opening, but also isn't surprising, just in terms of like the stats of women involved in investing in um, business, and I think the more I, I, I did actually talk to. Nicole and Christina for Taproot about this, and even just talking to Nicole about her experience as a co-founder of, uh, as as the co-CEO, I should say, um, and, and co-founder of AltaML. Um, her experience with her partner, Corey, and, and kind of, you know, the decision to have him out in front of the business, raising funds and looking for investment, um, because that's uh, ultimately what, has been proven to work, which obviously that uh, is really unfortunate that that is the case. And hopefully this will be another step towards um, making that change and and that that we'll see more and more investment in businesses that are led by women. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of connected to this, uh, Christina Milkey, who I just mentioned, is uh, one of the fund managers for Sprout Fund and their second fund, Sprout Fund 2 has announced its first close this week. So they were working towards a $10 million target for that fund to invest in business-to-business software startups in Western Canada. They ended up with more than 50 investors who were primarily in Alberta, which is good to see. And the management team is currently in due diligence with two companies, and they're hoping to announce their first investment within the next month, so sometime in May. So if you remember their first fund that I think all of those funds were spoken for. uh, And then they think they spent about a year raising for the second fund. And so really just like pedal to metal in terms of working with investors, trying to raise the capital in terms of for this $10 million target. And now that they're actually able to start working with Companies, again, I think um, Christina was saying, really, really excited to be back and talking to them. And a lot of these companies are working to grow and have an idea that they're hoping will really make an impact. So that's, I think, inspiring to be back in that stage of trying to actually make these companies or help these companies move forward. Arrow Fund 2 will continue to raise funds as well and they're looking to have a second close later in 2022 which will bring on a new crop
0: of investors as well. Well, I mean, you know, Christina is a huge champion of the startup community. And so is Shahil, one of the other fund managers. Um, You know, like we've talked about, it's so important to have investors here in the community, because it's also important to have those people around your mentorship table. And I know Christina and Shahil both believe in, you know, combining this idea of membership or mentorship, as well as funding. And so any company that they invest in is lucky to have them as their cheerleaders. So I'm excited to see that fund close and, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing who they're, who they're talking to and who they're going to be investing in. Um, so I'll be keeping my eyes peeled.
1: Yeah, no. And I think if I'm correct, I believe that this, their first fund was kind of the first of its kind in Edmonton. So really great that they're continuing that legacy really. And mm-hmm. that, that we'll, we're seeing a second one that is uh, evidently much bigger come along.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. You can also visit taprootedmonton.ca for the latest innovation news.
1: Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beeker and cover art by Vicky Wersinski. And if you know Vicky... Royal Bison is this weekend and this is not an ad for Royal Bison, but I love it. So <laughs> you should check it out. <laughs> Lots of, well, I don't know. Art is innovative as well.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. And I always find some really great pieces at Royal Bison too. So I'll be, I'll be there for sure.